talking specifically, I would say INFPs, they're very tuned into the needs of the individual. Like it's, uh, they're very like individual based and um, what's a good word? Like the, the more vulnerable, you know, a person is the more they, they feel connected to that person. And so they can have this really strong awareness of what each child needs emotionally. And it can be hard, the more kids you have, I think, for INFPs or other introverted feelers like ISFPs, um, to feel like all these conflicting needs. Like, you know, my one kid needs us to be quiet at dinner time because they're very sensitive. My other kid has this strong need for interaction and noise and excitement. How do I meet both of these needs? And that can be very overwhelming. I think speaking specifically for INFJs, we have, I'm just gonna, I wrote, jotted down some notes. Oh, <laughs> this is a big one. Um, we have this tendency to be very idealistic and we have this vision this is in everywhere in life. We have this vision of how we expect things to be and rarely does reality meet those expectations. And that was really big for me in my parenting and how I viewed what my parenting was going to be like and what my life was going to be like with my kids. And then the daily actual reality of it is very different. And so there can be like this constant sense of disappointment of expectations not being met. Welcome to the INF Club podcast. I'm Jazz Hoti, and this is the podcast for INFJs and INFPs, and other intuitives and highly sensitives, to provide you with nourishment, understanding, and inspiration as you navigate your journey. Whether you are listening for the first time, or you have tuned in previously, thank you for being here, and welcome to the show. There we go. Five. Okay. I see the countdown. There we go. <laughs> um, I, uh, remind me what time it is there for you right now. It's 9.30 in the morning. Gotcha. Um, I really like the wintry little scene you've got going, going on behind yeah. you. Yeah. We have wintry I think I might have even said that last too. time. I can't remember. Yeah. That's one of the, you know, those um, paint night things where you, you sit and that's one of my, my little paint night things I'm, I'm proud of. I feel like an artist afterward. <laughs> I like it a lot. It looks great. Um, listen, Sandra, um, yeah, lovely, lovely to be speaking with you. I know we've, uh, yeah, had a, had a couple of chats up until this point, but I'm really looking forward to, uh, yeah, diving a little deeper into your story and the work that you're doing. So hello and welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. And I, you know, as an INFJ myself, I always enjoy chatting with other INFs, and I think that uh, I think that your community will enjoy what we have to say to each other too. I think so too. Um, so let's start off, you know, nice and light. Um, would you like to, I guess, share um, 
as few or as many words as you like about kind of um, who you are and, you know, what you're up to at the moment, you know, whatever you want to share, really. Yeah. So I'm a mom. I have a five and an eight-year-old here at home with me. I also have a a 14-year-old stepdaughter who doesn't live with us. And, um, you know, with the pandemic, it's been a different year. And my kids were home for almost a year. They just went back to school two weeks ago. And so that's been kind of my life lately is I've been homeschooling my kids and they didn't do well with the uh, online learning. And so kind of re-examining our priorities here, but something that I've been quite proud of and has been one of my other babies for the past year or two has been my business called Family Personalities that I started up to help parents understand their children, improve communication through understanding their personality types. And so I run a podcast like you do called Family Personalities, where we talk about how to parent our children based on personality type. And I work one-on-one with families. And that's just been kind of my, it's really honestly kept me sane through the pandemic because I love being a parent, but being with my children 24-7 is really, really hard on me. And so having this like separate project to work on where I can go into a room and I'll put them on their tablets and go into the room and close the door and work on my stuff has been really saved me mentally this year. I bet. Um, I feel like parenting, and I'm not a parent, um, so I guess this is mere speculation slash kind of what I've gathered from being around kids and speaking to other parents. Um, but I think parenting can be intense, especially over the last year with what's happened, having kids at home all the time. Um, even if you are, you know, have like the um, the loveliest kids in the world that you adore. Um, yeah, I, I think it has been intense. Um, and I also do wonder if, and I'm just thinking of other intuitive parents I've been speaking to, if there's an added, I don't know, is there an added intensity that comes with being an intuitive parent, do you think? Yeah, there's... An introverted parent, I think, for one, is is difficult right now because your kids and your spouse, for most of us, for a lot of us, are always here. And so we aren't getting the alone time that we need. <laughs> That's very mm-hmm. difficult. I think as an intuitive parent, there is a, especially when you have younger children, it's a very physical job. And it's a very, like, present moment, practical details heavy And as we tend to prefer to live in a world of ideas and meanings and theories and not in the physical, practical world, that can be very, very exhausting to have to deal with that all day long. And when your kids are home all day long, that's what you're doing. And so that has been honestly the biggest difficulty for me, especially the first like five years of my kid's life was all the physical, practical realities. And I was a stay at home mom for the first uh, five or six years or so. And um, very exhausting for me. In fact, I would say it uh, affected me way more than I ever thought it would. And it was one of the most difficult things that I've, I've dealt with as, as a, an adult. Right. And, and remind, remind me how old your kids are currently? They're five and eight. Five and eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, still kind of fun ages. I think they're all kind of fun ages, aren't they, really? I think <laughs> yeah. I'm probably still, I'm with my parents at the moment. I'm yeah. 30 turning 32 I'm probably they probably think I'm a fun age you know some days <laughs> but um what um I'm 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 really curious about um what you're up to with family personalities and I guess how you came 
into doing what you do? Because um, I know we spoke a little bit about this. Um, you know, I really got the impression that this came from uh, a place of self-experience and figuring things out for yourself and how you interact with your kids. Um, so what? What? So um, at at one point, at what point did you kind of begin engaging with? Uh, I guess Myers Briggs stuff, or or maybe even before that. How did it start? You know, were you reading other books or kind of? Um, yeah, if you can yeah. Talk, if you could talk about that. I'm, I'm I'm all ears. Yeah, the first time I heard about personality type was you know long before I had kids. Maybe not long before, but it was before I had kids, and I was. Um, <laughs> working in the in the corporate world and Myers-Briggs shows up heavily in the corporate world as you probably know and uh, so there was some sort of training at our workplace and I think only the um, managers you know and maybe some se other senior people were in on it so I didn't go to the training myself um, but everyone came back and was talking about it and so you know I went online and explored and I eventually landed on I, I that I was an INFJ and I remember reading the type description and just like having this really almost like emotional reaction to it because I felt like it got so strongly to the core of who I am that I felt like understood for the first time in a way that I hadn't felt by a lot of people or even by myself. It was almost like this description knew more about me than I knew about myself and I was like fascinated. I was like, how does this seemingly simple four letter personality type model really get at, you know, these very personal details about me. And so I just started looking into it and I became rather obsessed with it and, you know, was typing everyone in my life and using it to understand my parents and understand my um, significant other who became my husband and, you know, my friends and everything. And so when I had kids, I just naturally started to wonder, oh, do my kids have a Myers-Briggs personality type yet? Like, when does that show up? And what does that mean? And I started reading up on it and was able to type my kids by the time they were two and was gleaning some really helpful information for how to relate to them. And I would say I entered, I think people enter parenthood in a couple of different ways. Some people, they go into parenthood and this is probably not your INFJ, your INFs because we tend to, you know, like to think out of the box, big picture, new ways of doing things. Um, but some people enter parenthood as like, um, they parent the way their parents parented, right? It is a traditional way, maybe your, your SJs on the, on the Myers-Briggs model are likely to enter parenthood that way. Others of us, I know for myself, I wanted to parent the way that I wish I had been parented. And so I came into it with all these like hurts that I'd had from my childhood and the flaws that I saw in the way that my parents parented me. And I was going to do it the way that I wish I'd been parented. And I quickly came to realize my children are very different from me. They're not little INFJs running around who have the needs that I have. They have very different needs. And to be able to cater to what they need was a lot more effective and kept a lot more peaceful household than, than what I thought they needed because I thought they would just be like me for some reason. And so anyway, I just was really blown away by how much it was helping me and I would share it with other people and other people were also very interested and they said, oh, I wonder what type my kid is. And I thought, you know, I can bring this to other people. And so I went and got, you know, the requisite trainings and certifications and, um, that's where I started from. Yeah, that is super interesting to hear about all of that. Um, did, did I did I hear correctly? Did you say that um, 
did you say SJs? So sensors and Js mm-hmm. um, are more um, traditional. Pro, more traditional. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when you say, because I, I think you, I think I heard you say um, they're more inclined to mirror the parenting they experienced, or is, is that a general? Okay, so they are more inclined to yeah. mirror the, the parenting they experienced. Yeah, sensors and judges use uh, a function called introverted sensing, or um, there's different nicknames for it. Uh, Personality Hacker calls it memory, but it's they're very much based on their their own experiences. And when they are taking in information from the world or processing information, they base everything based on experience. And so, yeah, they're they're very much your traditionalists. And our society is actually made up of I can't remember the exact number, but we're majority SJs. And so we live in an SJ world. And that's why you see our schools very traditional. You see the workplace very traditional, hierarchical, because a lot of people are wired that way to value that. And I think that that's really important. Like we need a society that is based on structure and has all these things. Um, But you also need, you know, us intuitives who are thinking out of the box and trying to do things new ways. But that's why it can be really hard when you come up against, when you're trying to change something, because there's a lot of people who are just like, no, we have to do it the way it's been done because that's what my experience tells me. And so there, you know, a lot of SJ parents will parent the way their parents parented because it's based on their experience. Not all of them, you know, it's not, it's not a hundred percent rule, but that's just a tendency. Hmm. Yeah. See, that's got me thinking because one of my parents, I'm pretty sure is an SJ. Uh, and I'm like, huh. Okay. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I have a ISTJ dad and he's very much, and he has a very difficult time with the way that I parent my children. He's like, well, in, in my house growing up, that never would have, you know, flown and blah, 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 you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, but that was, you know, a million years ago and I actually care about my children's feelings. So we're going to do it this way. <laughs> yeah, I think my, um, you know, it's really funny because really recently I've kind of, um, I don't know, I, I guess I've, on the, I think, I think for a long time I've, I've wondered what my parents are and then I'm like, without them doing it, I guess I would never really no, and I mentioned them to mention it to them a couple of times, and they just haven't done it. So I'm like, I'm not going to force them. But I was reading the descriptions recently, and I think my dad is um, an ISTJ too. Actually, um, it's a I really. Mom, it's, I think, I think it's, my mum is an e, is an ESFJ. Okay. I think is where I've got to. Yeah, I mean, those are two of the most common types in Myers Briggs, so it wouldn't be surprising. Right, um, and you said something about I soon real I realized that my my kids weren't little kind of INFJ me, you you know, Mm -hmm. well-meaning wanting to kind of parent and nurture them in ways that I didn't experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So how has that now looked like for you? Well, what's the, what's the, I guess the, what have you learned from that? And um, yeah, and, 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 and perhaps some of this relates to the types that your kids are. So yeah, I'd love to know what you've learned for yourself about how to parent your kids and i'm sure lots listening will be uh pressing their kind of ears to the screen or their their phones as as we're talking about this yeah so one of the biggest one of the hardest things both of my children you know have different challenges and different uh opportunities where i can bond with them right but personally i've had a much harder time with my son than with my daughter and part of it is there he's a he's a t on the myers-briggs so the thinker um he's actually intj so we're very similar intj infj we only differ by that one letter and actually 
I don't know how, if you and your audience ever talk about um, the cognitive functions in Myers-Briggs, but if you go down to the cognitive function level, we actually share the same main cognitive function. And so in that way, we're very similar. Although just because you're similar doesn't mean it's going to be easy with your child. I've had plenty of parents who are the exact same type as their child, and there's a lot of headbutting. Um, and actually, right. my son and my my husband are the same. Um, but the that that thinker and feeler difference can be really difficult for me. In that, one, it, when he was little, you know, I had this vision. He was my introduction to parenthood, right? And I had this vision of me like cuddling my child and us saying sweet things to one another and none of that happened <laughs> because my son wanted to, nothing to do with cuddling until eventually he did by the time he was three or four he started to like to cuddle um, and now even at eight we cuddle every night in bed and he's really he's a great cuddler but oh. um when he was little he was not interested in that i could not like sit and rock him in a chair he'd just start screaming at me and he ne he never he didn't say mama for a really long time he's oh i don't know if he's ever said i love you like he's just not emotive right so there's there's a hardship in that if you are someone who wants a lot of emotional feedback um, from people you love and then it can be hard to as someone who really values um and especially infjs even over infps i would say we really value um trying to think of the way to put it kind of a taking care of other people's feelings around us like making sure other people's needs are are met and when you have a child where that's not front of mind and they can be very blunt and they can hurt other people's feelings and they can say truths because they value truth that can be sometimes hard to watch and sometimes i've seen parents especially feeler FJ parents with, you know, maybe TJ or TP kids um, can start to label their kids as mean, you know, like, that's mean, stop being mean, you know, and stuff like that. And understanding that there's a, just a wiring difference can be really helpful in that. So with my son, I'll give you an example. This is maybe a year ago. So they were like seven and four or six and four or something like that. And my daughter was coloring and, or they were both coloring together, I believe. And my daughter asked my son, she said, do you like my drawing? And he said, no, I don't like it. I don't like the color you used. It's ugly. And she started crying. She's a feeler. Oh. She's an ISFP. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my first internal reaction before I said anything was, why would he say that? That is so mean. Like, why would he hurt his sister's feelings like that? And you might want to react and be like, that's mean. Like, say sorry, right? But being able to take a step back personality type wise, I understand that what's happening is that thinkers want to remove themselves emotionally from a situation because that clouds it. It's very confusing. The world of emotions and understanding how someone's going to react to what they say is not automatic like it is for feelers most of the time. They just, they just don't, it doesn't factor in. And so he was asked a question and he answered it truthfully because why wouldn't he, right? And so I'm able to talk to him and know that thinking judgers, so if you prefer thinking and judging, those kids are really rules-based. They understand rules really well, but they have to, especially INTJs, they really have to understand the rule in order to buy into it. And so I made it easier on him by explaining, hey, first you have, I have to explain logically what happened, like take him from A to B. 
when you, because he was like, well, why is she crying? I don't get it, right? So when you tell someone you don't like their drawing, they, it makes them feel like they must be a bad artist. And then that makes them feel bad about themselves. And then they cry. And he was like, oh, okay, I get it, right? Especially when they're a feeler. Though I guess you yes. didn't necessarily say that part to him because that might yeah. have confused him. And he'd yeah. be like, gotcha. Yeah. And then, and then I know, okay, now to make it easy on him, let me put this into a rule. So a, an easy rule to follow is if someone asks you if you like their work, you don't say, no, I don't like your work. You can say, oh, I like this part. I would do this part differently because my favorite color is this, but you don't straight up say, I don't like your work. And he, because he understood the reason behind the rule and bought into it, he then put that rule in his repertoire and he's never said that to his sister ever again. It's just, and it, it basically helps him skip that point of having to predict how someone's going to feel when he says something and just put it into a rule. And then it kind of stops that conflict. So it's really helpful to understand how their brain is wired to help them deal with some of those things that aren't going to come as easy to them. That's really interesting. Does he still, um, so I guess, thinking from his side, as I'm sure, as, I'm, as I know that you will have done, you still don't want to suppress his uh, expression of himself and of truth. Mm -hmm. So does he still, you know, whilst not saying... Um, I don't like your work still express i guess yeah i guess he kind of said he does he he still says this is what i like and maybe not talk about what he doesn't like is that kind of how it goes yeah and just supplying him with different words to use so like oh you know i i prefer the color green like i don't like pink and as purple. opposed to w what he said which was i don't I don't like that color. Yeah, or that's is that ugly what is what he said. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So that's quite. And so just supplying him with different words to use is, helps. Um, and, you know, also just honoring there's there's different strengths that each of the functions have in Myers-Briggs that don't exist without the things that you see as flaws. And this is something that probably a lot of INFJs and INFPs can relate to. I know I related to when I discovered my type and understood it deeper. I was told my whole life that my sensitivity was a really bad thing. And coming to understand the function in Myers-Briggs that I use, um, which is extroverted feeling, the FJs, and that the strength of that sensitivity is that I can hold this deep compassion for people and really be there for people when they need it. And that that wouldn't exist without the flip side of the sensitivity has been really healing for me. And so what I really try to help parents do is see both sides of the coin of those functions in their children. So the other side of the coin of my child's TJ, his, his um, extroverted thinking or his his tendency to be blunt, his tendency to be very critical outwardly, there's a, uh, a strength to that too, which is that they're incredible leaders, incredible decision makers, and they are really good at like putting the outer world and systems into place that need to get done and they're very efficient. And that wouldn't exist without him taking feelings out of it because he doesn't have to like slow down and clog all that, all that stuff up. And so seeing, okay, this is how this is going to serve my child in the future can help you see it as 
not necessarily a flaw. Like, yes, there's some stuff that needs to be worked on there so that he's not, you know, making everybody in his life mad and unable to make friends. But it is actually something that will serve him in the future if he can learn how to use it in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Salja, can I ask you, this exploration and this understanding around, I guess, your kids and how they relate to each other and I guess how you and your husband as parents relate to them with your types. Um, talking to you specifically as Sandra, INFJ Sandra, as you are, um, has this brought up anything in you? Uh, in terms of, I don't know, um, well, yeah, however you wanna, however you wanna take that question. Has that, has it, or has it made you realize anything about yourself um, that may or may not have surprised you in any way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, on, on one thing, it helps me understand why parenthood has been so much harder for me than I thought it would be. Like we talked about earlier with the, the practical things and how, how difficult that is for me. I mm -hmm. think the biggest thing that this, that Myers-Briggs in general has brought me in exploring it deeper and looking at it in kids as well, is just that I think I, it's a, it's a little embarrassing to admit, but I think I thought that the way I did things was the only right way to do things. And if people were not doing them my way, they were doing them wrong. And this has brought me a much greater appreciation for the different ways that people function in the world and how much we need every single type in this world and how important every single type is and how important it is to nurture our child's natural wiring and their natural selves and not try to force them to be something they're not. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, this is this is super this is super fascinating. Um, when it comes to personality type, my, um, my, my understanding is kind of as adults, um, and I guess by the same token, as children, it's something that can be quite fluid. And I'm thinking of kids and how I don't know if it's yeah, I don't know. I just get the impression that, you know, as adults, we're kind of more stable to an extent. Kids are kind of fluctuating through those formative years. Mm. Um, can their type change mm. uh, from one year to another or especially, you know, going from toddler to, um, a, a, yeah, late single digits and, you know, late single digits into teenhood, yeah. for example? Yeah, so it doesn't change. You are... Uh, and and there's conflicting things when I read out there. Are you born with it, or is it just there from very early, or does it develop in the very those very 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 early? It's, it's the age old question, it's, isn't it? Yeah, Which there right. doesn't there doesn't seem to be a definitive answer for. Yeah, it's an right. interesting one to think about there. Yeah. Yeah, but either way, it's there from very early. If it's not, my personal feeling is that you're born with that wiring. But I, either way, it's very 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 early, and. Um, you can even look back and see, like, in, 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 you can't type your baby, but you can look back and see in babies that they have patterns between the certain types of whether they're more smiley or they're more clingy or they're more social, you know, whatever. Um, and it doesn't change. Like, it, it stays static. It's very much like being right-handed versus left-handed. So, like, you know, I prefer my right hand. I started writing with that right away when I was a kid, and that's going to be my dominant hand my whole life. It doesn't mean I can't train myself to use my left hand if I need to. Say I broke my right hand or whatever. Um, and you can think of Myers-Briggs preferences in the same way. It's, we just have a bent towards being wired that way. It doesn't mean we can't train our other side. It doesn't mean we can't get, if we're introverts, we can't, you know, train ourselves to extrovert like you and I are doing right now. 
um, and it and it doesn't mean we can't train ourselves for all the different letter pairings, but we will always have one way that's just more natural and more comfortable. Mm. And um, to and and saying that uh, personality type is fluid, I agree. It doesn't mean that your type changes though, but you do change within your type, and you grow those other sides, and you develop your own side more in a more mature way. Or there's there's a bunch of like each letter is much more complicated than people realize it's there's so many things to it and you might be good at like some better at some parts than others and so you become you know better at the other parts or you use them differently in different contexts and so you do your personality changes but your myers-briggs preferences those don't those stay static that's interesting so because because i've come across um folks who've said Oh, I took the test and then I took it again and my type had changed. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you, what do you feel that that's down to if, if um, type doesn't necessarily change? Yeah, the assessments are, they're, they're a fun place to start, but I would never rely on an assessment to know what your type is because it's just mm -hmm. too, like you as a human are too complicated for a forced choice answer uh, assessment to get at, as well as the model is, is, is just very complex. And, um, and the assessment's only as good as the answers you give it. And so if you're in a different mood one day when you take it, it could, I mean, it can change from morning to evening, depending on how you answer the questions. So what it really takes is understanding the model completely and doing a lot of self-reflection, like a lot of like really understanding these functions and really understanding what they look like inside of you and peeling back a lot of layers. And something I'll say, because I know the listeners here, INFJs and INFPs, one of the biggest um, mistypes I see where people think they're one type and it turns out they're a different type is INFPs typing as INFJs. And my perception of the reason for this is that we live in a very J world. So J is all about how you approach your outer world and it's about putting the outer world in order. And if you think about in our society and the way things are run, like we're very time-based, we're very like organization-based, like you show up here at this time, you um, have to everything have everything in order. In school, it's very J. We're raised to be more judging and we are taught that that's the right way to be. And so I think for a lot of people who actually have a preference per for perceiving, they are grown up with the message, they grow up with the message that that's the wrong way to be and that they must learn how to be judging in order to get along in the world. And they may become, you know, they've worked very hard at it for one, just like if you broke your right hand and you had to use your left hand, you could work really hard at it, get better at it. Um, and they may have a perception of themselves that that's their preference when in fact that's just something they've they've pushed themselves to fit in to the world but really if you could just be yourself you'd be more on the perceiving side i find that a lot and you can find that with all the different letters like for men they tend to be pushed towards thinking for women we tend to be pushed towards feeling um intuitives we tend to be pushed more towards sensing uh, in introverts tend to be pushed more towards extroversion right so um, just peeling back the layers of who were you told you had to be versus who are you really? Yeah. Yeah. I do think as a, uh, as someone who's a guy that identifies as an INFP, I'm like, yeah, it feels like all the letters maybe 
the opposite to the mainstream, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to type and, you know, even even gender, um, arguably. Um, I, I also wonder when it comes to INFPs and INFJs, I remember when I was um, looking for places to kind of hang out online and looking for kind of self-understanding and, you know, communities in which I could fit in. There's a bunch of stuff out there for INFJs. Um, or certainly a bunch more stuff out there than there is for INFPs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do wonder if, because uh, I, I remember I was like, oh man, I feel so similar to these people, but that letter's just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so I do wonder if there's an element of uh, maybe trying to, f- INFPs trying to fit themselves into that INFJ space where there's more of a presence online and there seems to be this more, um, ooh, INFJ, the rarest type. A magical, mystical, special, and like the INFPs, I left there thinking, um, well, I, I can really relate, but like, I'm, I'm, is that okay? So I don't yeah. know. That's that's just another kind of little theory that I I have. It's interesting yeah. to talk about. And by the way, the newest data shows that INFJ is not the rarest type. It's actually right. ENTJ is the rarest type, but INFJ is still all the NJs are are very rare. All four of those types. Interesting. Yeah, I am. Um, uh, I, I know that the Myers-Briggs Foundation, there's the, I think, about 5,000 people person study where about uh, pretty much bang on, um, 75% came out sensors and 25% thereabouts came out as intuitives. Um, so, yeah. Um, I've got a couple of more things I, I certainly want to ask you when it comes to um, personality type and parenting. This is all really fascinating. Um, I do want to also, um, just for a moment, talk about, I guess, your own um, journey as uh, Sandra setting up kind of a solopreneur indie business with family personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people kind of in the community um, are working on a creative project or a side business. And... Um, I, I, I'd be really curious to hear, if you don't mind sharing, um, what that has been like for you and um, kind of at what point, you know, you, uh, I guess, yeah, just decided to um, decided to put yourself out there with family personalities, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been mostly just fun. I mean, as someone who took a break from the career world for many years to raise my kids... I missed it a lot. I missed doing something with my brain and something with that made with adults <laughs> um, that made me feel. Can I ask what you were doing in the? Can I ask oh. what you were doing uh, in in your previous career? I was doing accounting compliance. Okay. <laughs> was not. Um, I don't know how I ended up there. Don't ask me. Um, it was not. It was not for me. I mean. I, I'm grateful for the experience that I gained doing it, but I uh, was pretty unhappy there from from the get go, and I made like a very short five or six year career out of it. But this was not for me. So I actually, um, and we won't dwell on this too much because it doesn't sound like either of us are too enthused about it. But <laughs> I, um, when I was in recruitment for five years, I was recruiting for it was investment banking compliance. Mm. So you said accounting compliance, and I'm trying to remember the. Um, piece of regulation where I was like, oh, I'm sure Sandra knows all about this, oh, but I'm Sar- also... Sarbanes-Oxley. Well, Sarbanes-Oxley. Yeah, socks. I don't know what, the, the, yeah. I don't know what yeah, you guys have an equivalent Sarbanes-Oxley, there. Yeah, Sarbanes-Oxley, socks. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the buzzwords I used to uh, 
look out for and you know uh, offering conversations to pretend that I kind of knew what I was talking about <laughs> yeah I would um, say 80 to 90 percent of what I did involved <laughs> Sarbanes-Oxley yeah are you are you do, do you miss it are you glad to have it have it behind you the only thing I miss is the the like social aspect that I got out of working on a team and and coming into right. the office and seeing the same faces every day I don't miss yep. the work at all I hear you yeah um how, can, I, can I ask how long how long ago it was that you like I said it sounds like you've been in and around this work for a while but since you started uh I guess family personalities and, and what that looked like you know I know you've got a podcast now um how 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 did it how did it start in that kind of fun fun yeah, way yeah I mean I, ha I first had the idea when my kids were very little I don't I'm not even sure if I'd arrived at my daughter's type yet she was probably still a, a baby and um I hadn't gotten the trainings yet or anything, but I, d I was, I had this idea and I thought it was really interesting, but I wasn't sure no one was doing it. Um, I have since found a couple people who've done something similar or are still sort of trying to do it. Um, but at the time I didn't know anyone who was doing it or what it might look like. And so I, so I, I sent an email out to everyone I knew, like everyone in my neighborhood, everyone at the preschool, everyone I knew who had kids and was like, Hey, will you let me come type your kids and give you some advice on how to parent them for free just so i can see like what would this look like and so i did that i did it mostly with people in my neighborhood and i just went in and like sort of tried to create a program and see what would this look like and how to and tried to get feedback from them and how they liked it and what they would have you know wanted out of it differently and then um and then i put it on hold for a couple years because we moved and it just wasn't the right time i, I couldn't find enough time to devote to it and then I got to a point where my son was in kindergarten finally. So he was out of the house 35 hours a week. My daughter was in preschool, you know, maybe three days a week. And I slowly started to increase her so that I could have time. And then I decided, okay, this is it. This is the year I'm gonna do it. And then shortly thereafter COVID happened and my children were sent home. And so I haven't had quite the momentum that I had been hoping for and the time to devote to it, but I've at least have been able to get enough off the ground that I have a consistent podcast that comes out every week and I have some clients here and there. And so I am refined. I have now have a very refined program that I take parents through and, uh, just putting the time on like all the other details though the marketing stuff that's still coming and my kids just went back to school two weeks ago and so I'm ramping up even more now which is exciting yeah I remember you saying that it sounds exciting that you're able to uh I think yeah just something I really just don't appreciate having to just be responsible for myself right now you just <laughs> having the time <laughs> to spend on uh, I guess yourself and 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 direct it where you want to as opposed to you know in in, in kind of looking after your kids um now, thanks for sharing that. C can I ask, in reaching out to everyone you knew, all those parents, um, sounds like a really great idea and a useful exercise um, and kind of a no-brainer uh, no for me. You know, if I'm a parent who's got kids, do you want help? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> um, how did it feel you reaching out to them and doing that? Did, did, did it feel um, kind of vulnerable or, or frightening or scary in any way? A little bit. You know, I, I definitely am someone who has a little bit of a worry of how other people perceive me and I want other people to be as excited about my idea as I am and I, I had um when you look at the number of people I sent it out to versus the number of people who actually responded and were interested it's a very small portion of people and this is remember not something they had to pay for but I think that there 
are I've definitely noticed in the people who end up following me and who end up working with me that a lot of people just don't find this personality type stuff that interesting or helpful. There's very much a bent towards intuitives who like it. Um, sometimes you'll find like ISFPs into it, but generally the parents who come to me wanting this are a lot of INFJs, INFPs. Occasionally you get an um, ENFP, ENFJ, and then, you know, sometimes maybe an INTJ or something, but there's, there's only yeah, the, a certain the part who... of the population who even think this is interesting and helpful. So, <laughs> yeah, but I tell you what, you've probably experienced this. The ones that do are really into it. Um, you know, our types in figuring out who we are and, you know, wanting to be the best versions of ourselves, wanting to be the best parents that we can be just enjoying. Um, I think a lot of us just enjoy just learning and, um, yeah, like personal growth in a multitude of different ways, whether it's psychology or philosophy or, you know, parenting or work or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, we, t we, we, we tend to care a lot about this stuff, don't we? Us kind of intuitive types. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But kind of going back, I guess, going back to, to, the, to the parenting, um, and I think you've talked about some of this already. What do you feel are the kind of the main challenges that INFP and INFJ parents face, um, you know, regardless, I guess, of the, the types of their children? Yeah. So I think we, we mentioned it before, but definitely the introversion can be hard because your kids want interaction from you all day long, especially when they're younger. And so finding mm -hmm. time to yourself can be really, really difficult. And especially in the early years, finding that time where you get quiet, where you get space, where you can live in your most preferred function. Um, it's hard for both types. And again, like we talked about, those practical physical details can be hard for both INFJs and INFPs. Although I would say maybe more of a stretch for INFJs than for INFPs. Is that like practical physical stuff? And um, talking specifically I would say INFPs, they're very tuned into the needs of the individual. Like it's, uh, they're very like individual based and um, what's a good word? Like the, the more vulnerable, you know, a person is, the more they, they feel connected to that person. And so they can have this really strong awareness of what each child needs emotionally. And it can be hard the more kids you have, I think, for INFPs or other introverted feelers like ISFPs um, to feel like all these conflicting needs. Like, you know, my one kid needs us to be quiet at dinner time because they're very sensitive. My other kid has this strong need for interaction and noise and excitement. How do I meet both of these needs? And that can be very overwhelming. I think speaking specifically for INFJs, we have, I'm just going to, I wrote, jotted down some notes. Oh, this is a big one. Um, we have this tendency to be very idealistic and we have this vision 
uh, this is in everywhere in life. We have this vision of how we expect things to be and rarely does reality meet those expectations. And that was really big for me in my parenting and how I viewed what my parenting was going to be like and what my life was going to be like with my kids. And then the daily actual reality of it is very different. And so there can be like this constant sense of disappointment of expectations not being met. There's so many other things I could go into, but those are just a couple that popped out at me initially. Yeah. The, again, I'm not a parent, but the, the expectations and idealism really resonates with me as an INFP. Um, can I ask, are there any things that you've managed, are there any ways that you've managed to, um, combat sounds like too strong a word, perhaps make peace with that? Yeah, I have, I, I have a lot of what I work on personally is self-talk. And so kind of reminding myself um, about the now, the here and the now. So this is what's happening right now. And I like, you know, because I, I will be, I'll feel pulled into this like ideal world in my head and pulled to this idea of how what I thought would happen and how I thought this day would go. And then I have to self-talk and say, what's happening right now? What's happening right in front of me? My child is... Um, having a potty accident in the middle of what I thought was going to be this really fun ice skating uh, play date that we were having. What's happening right now? And I just have to pull myself into the now. Oh, my child really needs me. I'm the one who can be there to comfort her and help her through this. That's really special. What's happening right now that's really special instead of what did I think would happen today that I now I'm not getting, right? That it's hard. Mm -hmm. Like that is a really big stretch for us. And I say, as I've gone along, I've gotten better at stretching in that way, the more that I remind myself to. Um, and then just having regular time and quiet to myself is really important. Like getting out for, we live in a very beautiful, um, natural place. There's a lot of forests, mountains, getting out for a hike and being with nature can be really helpful to kind of pull you into that now in a more in a, in a less intrusive way than having like your kids shouting in your face with what they need. <laughs> and so if you can get yourself there in like a more comfortable, peaceful way, then you might be more prepared for it when it's less comfortable and peaceful. Oh yeah. Again, I've not got kids, but the, my park has been my, um, one of my saving graces during this period. Mm -hmm. Um, I have walks most days in the park, either alone, sometimes with someone else like I did today. I've got a couple of regular slots with friends. Yeah, it's just amazing being out there. Um, bodies of water as well. I don't know if you've got any bodies of water near you. Uh, but yeah, whether it's greenery, whether it's water, whether it's ground, whether it's, you know, water. Um, yeah, nature seems to be, be pretty helpful for us. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about boundaries. So boundaries... Um, seem to be a thing um managing boundaries taking on the energy of others and you know when it comes to kids so i've got a friend who's an infj and she says that a being a parent i think she's got a four-year-old or four or five-year-old now um but actually the pregnancy and physically having another being inside of her she was like it was the most overwhelming intense experience and you, you mentioned um that need to, to caretake and look after here, there and everywhere. Um, and a lot of us um, have challenges around, I guess, boundaries and um, in different ways, um, knowing when to step in, knowing when to step back. Um, 
you know things like uh, kind of codependency uh, kind of coming up as I as I talk about boundaries. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? And and is there anything there that I don't know you or anyone you you've, you've worked with has, has struggled with? Because that that seems to be in my experience a big thing for INFPs and Js, and I, I'd imagine as a parent that's a whole uh, a whole thing in it in and of itself. Yeah. That's definitely something that both INFJs and INFPs struggle with. And I would say, but in a slightly nuanced, different way from one another, as INFJs, as FJs, it's very much about meeting outer needs. And we sort of take on other people's needs as if they're our own. And it can be hard to separate out. I, like I, I lose, like, what do I want? Like, that's a really hard thing for me to understand because I've now taken what my kids want and what my spouse wants and that has become what I want and it's it's like it's almost like it can't be separated out and so I definitely drove myself into a very mentally unhealthy place because I was meeting everyone else's needs and not my own and so I think that would resonate with a lot of people and then it's very similar for INFPs but a little more nuanced in that sometimes I struggle with articulating things (laughs) but it's it's very clear in my head it's a little more nuanced in that it's about almost like giving up control of your own desires to someone else if that makes sense like it's very much a um i'm going with what what happened what needs to happen now and all of a sudden next thing you know you've gone a year and you haven't checked back into your own direction taking if that makes sense like you haven't taken your own direction with things um right yeah and that's it's so easy to fall into as a parent when you have just this desire to meet your children's needs and they will even ju- if you just have one but especially if you have multiple they will suck it out of you 24 <laughs> 7 like creating that boundaries is really it can be really hard and if i had if I had it to do over again in my parenthood journey, and I, I realized that there is there are financial restrictions, everyone's in a, in a different spot, you know, in what they can do. But I would have, from the beginning, set up way more help, whether it's paying for help if you can afford to. And for us, we, we could have afforded to, but it felt like we couldn't because that would have been an expense we've never had before. And But even if it's, you just have to put it in your mind that it's temporary, right? Like I would have you know, stopped adding to the 401k for a couple of years, like do some very different things than you're used to, to get that help to, to keep my mental health in space so that I have the boundaries and the time and the space to pull away and care about my own needs. Um, and then if you don't have the financial means, where are parents, where are friends that you can, and like, I think there's like a guilt, like a feeling like we should be able to do this ourselves. I definitely had that. I was like, it's just a baby. Like I've seen plenty of other people do it. I should be able to be the one to meet my child's needs 24 seven. And I went into like a deep postpartum depression after my daughter. And I think that was all very preventable if I had set up more help from the beginning so that I had a time when I could separate from the needs of others and just attend to the needs of myself. That's so important, Sandra. Uh, thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, that support network is just um, it's just so important. And I remember, I uh, you know, actually in through the podcast, I remember I think in the uh, some of the earliest days of the podcast, I came across a couple of individuals who'd uh, 
spent uh, a lot of time, I guess resources slash time, money time, in support, uh, whether it's therapy or coaching or, or you know what have you. And I remember, uh, you know, part of me was like, um, "Well, that's awesome," but like, hey, isn't that like, is that is that like, oh, isn't that not, is that too much? And I now I think back, and I'm I even, even to that like, and I'm like, that whole narrative around. Just, there's so much in there. What we spend our money on, looking after ourselves, taking that time for ourselves. I am. Um, um, I am. I have recently decided to reach out to get some support for myself, mm. um, therapy slash coaching, and um, really interesting for me to observe kind of what's been happening for me in that, and kind of the avoidance of me doing that. Mm. Um, and then yesterday I finally, uh, I got the poll and I was like, wow, this person's videos are amazing. I'm going to sign up for like a free discovery call. And it was 30 minutes and it said to the value of $97. I almost for a split second stopped myself from pressing because I was like, whoa, $97. That's $200 a session. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not going to do it. And then I'm like, okay, Jazz, hold on a second. Think about the value that you'd be getting. Think about how much you'd be spending a month. Okay, let's do 200 times four, let's say, you know, four week month, $800. I Actually, that's manageable. And not only is that manageable, but what, you're, what you would potentially get from doing it with the right person. And I think that's important as well. And I think, uh, I do think, um, yeah, I don't know what your experience has been, but the, the fit is really important. I, I've, I've known after the first, if certainly the second session, if that person's the right fit for me and if I feel good about it. But I'm like, gosh, the right person and how much, because it's been something that's kind of been in, in me and I've kind of been putting the lid on it for probably a good amount of time now, you know, months at least. But it was interesting here you talk about money and, you know, the excuses that we make, because that's something I've experienced just yesterday. Um, and I think for anyone listening, whether you're a parent or not, just support for you and your needs is, um, I think, crucial. And I think of um, another way I've kind of, something else I've thought about is you get some of these, uh, there are people out there, uh, I don't know, like elite athletes, they'll spend, they'll have someone who's like a private chef and they'll have a sports psychologist and they'll invest all of this stuff, all of this support to have on an ongoing basis. And I thought, hold on a second. Why could it could it maybe not be a useful thing for me to um, just have some constant form of ongoing one to one checking in support? Maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just felt the need to share that. Yeah, no, I'm glad you shared that. And I think that if you're wanting to think about it from a financial perspective, think about how much more effective we are as humans when we're better resourced and when we're in a better mental health right. state, you probably have increased your future earning potential just by getting this help. And 10 years down the line, you'll probably be making more money for it. Or, you know, if, if, if you don't, it's easier to look at it, I think for us from an emotional standpoint, like you'll be in a much more emotionally healthy place to enjoy the rest of your life. And there's no, there's, you can't put a price tag on that. Um, but if you wanted to go take it back and look at it from, from any financial perspective, I bet it would pay off that way too. 
Yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah, so for me, it's about the, yeah, because I, for me, well, I had to be like, what would I be getting from this? And I'm just like, it's priceless. Honestly, it's priceless. Um, and uh, yeah, money money's an interesting thing because we get used to, I think, the, the value we attach to it. And also, I think, again, uh, kind of scarcity and abundance comes to mind here of, oh, I'm used to putting this in my 401k and having this coming in each month. All of a sudden, this is another expense. I, um, yeah, it does some interesting things. But um, my gosh, it, it's support, I just think, especially for like, for, it feels like, a, I would argue it's a very worthwhile thing for anyone. I think especially if you're an intuitive with the just rich in a kind of emotional world that we have and um, patterns that we can fall into. You know, you're very honest in saying you found yourself in a mentally unhealthy spot. Um, I was there, you know, I've been there myself. Um, you know, most, one of the most obvious, most, for example, when I, when I left the city, I think I'd just been living on autopilot and I, I lost a sense of who I was because, um, yeah, I was an autopilot and I think really looking back, I had absorbed everyone other's needs and expectations and not been looking after my own. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Do you mind me asking, you mentioned the postpartum, do you say postpartum depression? Mm -hmm. and, and, and anxiety, um, they kind of went hand in hand with one another. Right. Uh, can, I, can I ask you um, how... Um, how you came through that? Because I think that's that's more of a common occurrence than, than we realize. Um, and I'm sure there'll be uh, folks listening to this who um, have experienced that or know someone who yeah. has. Um, what, what was that like for you coming through yeah. it? It is tough because I, I experienced depression once before in my life, maybe even a couple times before, but only once before diagnosed in college, I had gone through a pretty short lived depression and I went on medication um, and that kind of solved it. I never did any talk therapy or anything at that point in my life. And this was much more, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, it was much more profound and personally difficult because I had two little kids relying on me and it was scary honestly to think that like I woke up one morning and was like I don't feel like I can take care of my kids today and that's terrifying and you can't you don't have any out like you can't just not show up that day <laughs> and so that's really scary and hard and it's hard to then come to a place of rest. Like when I was in college, I was able to reduce my class schedule. Um, I was lucky my parents were still supporting me. I was able to kind of quit my job, which was for extra spending money and like take the time to recover. And I didn't have that when I was a parent. And so that was really difficult. And so, um, but luckily I did have a support system. I had, my husband was incredibly supportive of it. My parents were supportive to the point that they could be um, with offering help with the kids. And we did at that point finally, we did at that point finally hire care, which, you know, I wish I'd had set up from the beginning because it could have prevented me from getting to that point. But we started having a regular babysitter come in here and there. Still probably not enough. If I, if I had to do it over again, I would have done more. And um, I got on medication. I started doing talk therapy and just started doing the work. I read a, um, a book that really helped me called The Upward Spiral by Alex Korb. Um, and he actually, I know him personally from college. He was a 
neuroscience guy who wrote a book about what depression is in the brain and how he explained it using neuroscience and how to pull yourself out of depression by understanding how the brain works and that I found it just really spoke to me. Um, I found that really helpful. And a lot of it was just understanding what my needs were and getting them met, which can be really, really hard in those early days of parenthood. Um, and it's still been a struggle. Like I actually was, because I have been kind of up and down through the years since then, I never got as low as I did around like when my daughter was three months old and I had a two and a half year old at home, like that was my lowest point. But um, I kind of went up and down through the years since then. And I've learned to, first of all, see when that's coming. Like I can see it within myself. For me, the first thing that happens is I get start to get really, really, really angry at times. Like I'll all of a sudden just be overwhelmed with like anger. And, um, and then that's kind of like my anxiety reaching a peak. And then from there, I just crash into depression. And so now I know the warning signs and I can see like, oh, I'm getting some warning signs. Obviously my needs aren't being met. And I can kind of sit down with my husband and be like, I'm having some depression warning signs. Like, what can we do? And we'll kind of look at what the circumstances are and adjust them. And I would say I actually, this year has been really personally very, um, it's, it's been a very difficult year because of the pandemic, but personally it has felt very good to me because I was sure that when my kids went back home in the spring and I all of a sudden had to be with them 24 seven again, I was sure that I was going to crash into another depression and I didn't. And part of it was that we had learned from past experiences. We did, you know, after the first couple of months of being really isolated, when things started to open up back a little, we hired a sitter who was um, older and also very isolated. And so we kind of considered her part of our bubble and that helped a lot because I knew, you know, I need a break from the kids every day. I just do. And my husband, you know, works full time and he's our main source of income and we can't jeopardize that. Um, so I knew what to put in place to help keep myself. And then I also just knew to let go of things. And so like I let go of this ideal world where my kids were never on technology. And I was just like, you know what, to get through this year, they're just going to be on technology so that I have what I need so that I can get my time and all that. And so I learned some lessons. Um, and it's nice to see that I was able to keep myself afloat in what is a very difficult year. And a lot of people are really struggling this year, mental health wise. Sandra, I'm smiling inside right now in so many ways with what you've just shared there. Um, oh gosh, just so many things. Um, yeah, that seeking outside help and support. Um, I really hope folks listening to this maybe have been given something to think about there. That can be a huge deal, right? I bet the first time you did that and you, you hired like a babysitter or a nanny, that sounds like it was a very difficult thing for you, which I think it is for a lot of parents with guilt and other things that comes up. Um, but it sounds to me that that's been one of the things that's been extremely helpful for you. I think you, you said that maybe looking back you'd have even enlisted it earlier or more yes. of it um so that that yeah that that's a, that's an indi that's a big indicator right there um yeah the letting go part's not easy is it um as a parent as a as an intuitive parent as well i, I think i'll add um and i don't know if you yeah, if no. you are familiar with the enneagram types at all a little oh, bit. I'm an Enneagram one. And so there's this, this need to be good and to be right in everything that I do and to kind of do everything in this perfect way. 
And so that's a big part of it too, is learning to let go of all these things in my life that I'm trying to do the exact right way because that's how I feel like I earn love. If you kind of peel back those Enneagram layers and that has been a huge mm -hmm. recognition in my mental health too, in like in, in a change in my self-talk, like that I'm okay and I'm good, even if I don't re reach these ideals. Right. Do you do any journaling at all? I do, yeah. Not a lot. I probably would benefit if I did it more, but I have a journal kind of like in my nightstand and then at my workspace that I'll try and, you know, work out some feelings through and kind of um, form them. I've actually found that doing the podcast has been kind of helpful in working through some of these these thoughts about myself. And I do a lot of in the shower thinking. That's my <laughs> my most uh, yeah. spot for thinking through these things. One of my favorite things um, is bath, bath, having baths. I've been having a lot of baths. Mostly, I'm going to have one. Um, so yeah, I had I had a walk with a friend earlier. Um, I tutored someone before our call, and now I've just spoken to you, and they've all been um, uh, pleasant to wonderful interactions today, which mm -hmm. has been great. Um, but my bath times, my mean time, my me time. Um, someone even said that water helps you get rid of the energy that you've absorbed through the day um i don't know if there's anything there but all i can say is it is a great it is a really helpful way of me um yeah unwinding and decompressing and, and kind of recentering yeah i love my baths i mean it's cold here eight months out of the year so <laughs> i always take a bath at, at night and it, it feels great it's very very cliche self-care yeah. but it works for me there there you go um Sandra, this is yeah this is this has been awesome i've got i'm really conscious of the time it's flown by um as i, as I thought i thought it might um is there anything that you're with regards to family personalities kind of i know you um so do you want to talk about i guess what you offer kind of to parents what that looks like just yeah, briefly kind of my my main program that i offer is a i call it the family dynamics program the whole family comes to me and we find everyone's personality type in the family mom dad mom mom dad dad um if, it, if it's a separated family sometimes with divorce sometimes the co-parent is interested in participating sometimes they're not and the kids and i can do age four and up um if they're age seven and up they participate in the process if it's younger than seven then we just go based on observed behaviors and we call it a best guess type and um you tell me also what difficulties you have in the family like you know you know personally there's a lot of um arguing from one kid there's a lot of like i get really angry when my kid does this or whatever we talk about some of the specific difficulties and then after we have everyone's types i teach you about the types i teach you about the difference between the types how they interact with one another i give you some generic tips like here's generically what a what a estp child needs from you and what can what you can do to you know, better approach, discipline, whatever else. And then I go specific and I say, okay, here's the issues you're dealing with. And here's how we can approach that differently now that we understand type. And that's kind of my main signature program, but I'll also do one-offs just like, Hey, type me or Hey, just type this one kid. I can do that as well. And, um, eventually I'd like to offer workshops and stuff like that. But at this point I'm not there yet. Awesome. It sounds, yeah, um, it sounds fascinating. Um, I might well be in touch in, you know, a few years down the line if, if uh, kids are, <laughs> if kids happen mm -hmm. for me. Um, and I'm, I'm, 
especially thinking like, gosh, if I end up with someone else who's also an intuitive personality type, I'm like, my goodness, um, let's see how it goes and be quite optimistic here, Jazz. But at the same time, um, it's great to know that I've, um, yeah, I'm aware of a source of support that's available to me. So, um, so yeah, if you're still doing it, then. Yeah, oh, I hope I am. <laughs> yeah, me, me too, <laughs> selfishly. Um, and how can, um, yeah, how can folks find out, um, find out more about you or about the, this work that you do? I know you've got yeah, a website. Check out my website familypersonalities.com. I also have a couple downloads on there to help you determine what type your child is. So I have one for introversion versus extroversion, and I have one for judging versus perceiving. So if you go to familypersonalities.com slash downloads, they're free. You can download those. Um, I'm, I will get the other ones up there hopefully soon. And um, check out the podcast, which is called Family Personalities. It's on any podcast platform. It's a great way to dip your toe in. And also follow me on Instagram. My handle is Family Personalities. I post a lot about kids and type and parents and type on there. Awesome. Hey, well, you, I was going to ask you about Instagram and other stuff, but you've covered it all smoothly like a pro. So thank you for that. And thank you once again. Um, really enjoyed this. I think others will enjoy listening in. Uh, or, or watching uh, if this is, if it's on YouTube, um, and yeah, no thanks, Sandra. I really yeah. appreciate it. Uh, Thank it's been you really so fun. much for having me. So that's it for today's episode. If you're enjoying listening to the show, you might wish to dive in a little deeper by heading over www.infclub.net There you can subscribe to my free newsletter and you'll find more little pieces to help you on your journey as well as a community of INFJs and INFPs Thank you for listening today and I'll see you next time